Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. It seems this late model VW Bucking's been taking me down the road. As we talked on the last podcast, I mentioned to you guys that uh, I picked up a bunch of really nice NOS literature, and it was all for 1970 and 71 Beatles and later all the way some of the van some of the bus stuff some of the uh, some of the air conditioning excerpts some of the color catalogs a lot of different stuff and the contact that I found on that the guy the gentleman's name is Don Weir Don's in PA uh, York PA and he worked for Volkswagen from 1962 and on and as we get to talking I realized that there's a story there that I haven't yet covered which is what it was like to work as a salesman for Volkswagen so on today's podcast I have my source for super nice uh, NOS sales literature for the 70s Beatles. And Don's got a plethora of that. So make sure you guys link on his contact info down in the description below and you'll be able to get your hands on some really, really nice NOS sales literature. So this guy's been, uh, he's been in the VW world uh, working for Volkswagen of America, selling cars and working for a dealership uh, since 1962. And so I'm sure he's got a lot of information to give us and a lot of cool insight as far as what it was like to work at a Volkswagen dealership back in the 60s when they were first breaking into that market. So without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week with Don Weir, Life of a VW Salesman on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Okay, everybody. So on today's show, I've got Don Weir. He's uh, the gentleman that I bought that really nice brochures, those really nice dealer brochures from. And he also worked for Volkswagen from 1962 in York, PA on to the early 80s. Uh, Don, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So Don, the first question I have, you know, we spoke a little bit about the really high quality, you know, sales literature that I picked up from you. And we started talking, you told me that you were the first salesman for a VW dealership in, in York, PA. And I thought it was interesting, that story completely because, you know, what it was like being a salesman, all that type of stuff for Volkswagen in kind of its heyday right in that time. How does that history start out with you with that VW dealership? Uh, they were building a new dealership here in York, PA. Uh, I was lived in the Philadelphia area and was had a good friend who was a Volkswagen dealer down there. And um, I went to his shop one day to get parts. And he said, when I, when I finished at the parts room to come into his office, he wanted to meet somebody. And he introduced me to the people who were going to be opening the dealership in York. And I got hired that afternoon. And a week later, I moved from Philadelphia to York and started in a new job no, at, the, at a dealership that was nothing but a concrete pad that was just being started to be, be, be built. And what was the name of this dealership in York? It was Steuben, S-T-E-U-B-E-N, Steuben Motors. And they were, they were a, a brand new, they just signed up to get situated with being a VW distributor or VW dealer, and you were their first salesperson hired. Right. Actually, they were, we were, the dealership was owned by Volks, by um, a company called Auto Associates. 
and Auto Associates was the distributor for Volkswagen products for Pennsylvania and Delaware. So they were a distributor under Volkswagen of America. And so when you get hired on, so what is it like? I mean, in that in that era, 1962, when Volkswagen is kind of first coming into this market. I mean, Volkswagen at this point, it started, I think they first started importing in like 57. And then, you know, they started going on to this because I think at this point they had a few hundred dealerships throughout the nation. But what was it like in that in York where you were at with Volkswagen and how, how was it accepted with the community there and, and, and all that? Well, it was a little different here because this is Pennsylvania Dutch country and they're a little bit hard to, to uh, convince to do most anything that's out of the ordinary. Yeah. So um, it didn't, it didn't, it, it, they, one of the big things that, that they wanted us to push was the type two vehicles. Really? That was one of their big, their big things. The type twos weren't selling. They wanted us to show, to show the rest of the dealerships that you could sell type twos. But, this was not a good neighborhood to try to sell pickup trucks and vans to outside people. As far as the cars were concerned, the cars went over very well. Mm-hmm. Now, we, when we when we first opened, uh, we would actually give people the order forms, and they would sit on the window sills around the show window, and when we would tell them the options and the different colors and so forth. And they would fill out the form with their name and address and all their information. And they would put down what they were interested in and we would process their order. And they were taking orders for delivery in five to seven months from the date that they wrote the order. And then we were really kind of on a, a back order basis, like similar to what it is today, as far as a lot of the new cars are concerned. Yeah. And for you being the only sales guy there, I mean, how many cars would you, how many Volkswagens would you sell in a month? Well, that's going back a long way. I don't, <laughs> I would say probably, uh, probably, probably 25 to 30 cars a month. I mean, that's, that's moving a lot of, a lot of metal there. And with the, so with the type twos, what, of any were kind of the movers. Did you sell many uh, 23 windows or 21 windows or were you selling mostly commercial pickups or what was uh, of the little bit of type twos you were selling? What, what seemed to be the sellers? They wanted us to really push most anything, but they wanted us primarily to work on trucks, the the double cab pickups, Mm -hmm. the regular pickups and, uh, and of course the buses as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, we, what we, what they really wanted us to try to do was to go out and, and push trucks to farmers and things like that, which was tough to do in Pennsylvania, Dutch country, uh, to tell farmers that they were supposed to pick up bales of hay and straw and put them on the back of a Volkswagen pickup truck when they were driving around in their old Fords and Chevys. Um, they didn't really want to hear much about Volkswagen. And the early, so, uh, the, the early VW pickup truck was rated at like, a, was it a one ton pickup? The, the, the early single cabs. Uh, I would think it was probably, be, it would probably been, have been considered a half ton. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what they were going back that far, but I believe that would have been going, that would have been sold as a half ton pickup. Now, as, as far as people, do you remember selling any to people that you kind of, once they bought a Volkswagen, they were converted, they'd bought them for their, for their, uh, work vehicles? 
as far as the type twos were concerned, I don't know that that's the case. As far as the bugs and the, and the type one vehicles were concerned, uh -huh. um, I had a lot of customers that I sold them in the 20, in the 20 plus years that I worked there. I had customers that I sold them cars for themselves, cars for their kids. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of people had several of them. And, and I had one customer that I probably sold either to him or to him and his friends, probably better than 20 cars. Oh, wow. So they were, they were good referral customers too. They would send their friends in to talk to me about buying cars. So it was a good business, but the, the type twos were not that easy. Yeah. Type twos are a little different now. We're now obviously starting in 62. You're right there when the type three starts to be sold as well. Right. Um, right. The, the station wagon, the fastback, the notchback was never really sold here. Could you special order that at a dealership? We had several notchbacks in stock over the years, but the, but as you said, the fastback and the uh, squareback were the were the popular models. The squareback was a good seller. Yeah. Um, fastback was fastback was okay, but I would say not not as good as a squareback. Um, I sold I sold several squarebacks to family members and friends. Um, I don't know that I ever really sold fastbacks to made to many to any family members, but um, the the squareback was a good seller, yeah. but still not as good as a bug. And now, as far as uh, as far as special order stuff, do you recall any particular special orders that you ever did, or stuff that you found interesting in regards to well, any type of special order stuff? We really didn't have to do much with special orders because since we were owned by a Volkswagen factory organization, mm -hmm. uh, the special order stuff, you know, whenever they came in with, with that, came in with special special uh, lines or something like that, they would see that we got those automatically. So we didn't really have to order too much like that. Uh, if people came in and wanted to give a special order, we would do that send it into Volkswagen uh, didn't necessarily mean you were going to get it. Yeah. But, um, but like the, spe the special edition models, um, the sport bug and, um, I forget what the other one was. The sun, there was a sun bug. Those cars, uh, usually we would get a few of those, but the production wasn't that high on those. So even, you know, even if we had special customers that wanted them, a lot of times they weren't, readily available so the dealership would only get so many allocations of like a sport bug or a sun bug or whatever it was whatever the promotion was right yeah they, yeah we would we would not we would not have free run of the mill we could not get as many as we wanted it was a matter of how much they how much how many they gave us and now did you notice um so if, because volkswagen even with the type one right when you started in 62 that's when they had the cloth sunroof and then 64s when right. they change they change to the steel sunroof but it's still small windows and then 65 they increase the window sizes all the way around um anything in regards to the year by year changes that you ever noticed that something that really was a big hit or really big disappointment with the customers like uh i think probably one of the one of the biggest uh, things was color changes yeah always seemed to make a difference the sunroof made a big difference the the uh the sunroof was always a popular model, and then when they came out with the with the hardtop sunroof, um, that became more popular than the canvas one. Really? Uh, but I don't know that there was anything that, that was really outstanding as far as the Type 1s were concerned. 
course, uh, the bug was the most popular. The 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 geas, uh, the geas were good sellers, but they weren't. They didn't. They, there's no. They didn't even come close to a to a bug. Yeah, the beetles were, and they knew they were about what eighteen hundred dollars for a bug back then. Um, I'm thinking in '62 that the going price was around thirteen, thirteen fifty. Thirteen fifty, yeah. So, and then incrementally, they just kept going up and up and up. And I think by the time the final production year came up, they were quite a bit more. Um, That's right. That, now, did you notice a difference in the type of customer? Like when you started from the '60s bugs to the '70s bugs, um, just kind of the different demographic that was buying those cars. No, I I don't think so. We had a we had a pretty well rounded uh, clientele. Yeah. Um, it, it, we I don't think that it, that our business changed that much. But by by the uh, late sixties and the early seventies, a lot of the sales that I made were repeat sales to customers that I had sold to before. So um, I mean, we got new customers all the time, but a lot of my sales were repeat sales and. Um, like I said, there were, I had a lot of customers where I sold them their first car when they got married. And by the time I left, I was selling their kids, their first cars when they got married. So it was pretty much a family deal. And and a lot of my, a lot of my sales were referrals from people that I sold cars to and they sent friends in and things like that. So you were, of course, by that time, after about three or four years, I was only there by myself as a salesman for about three months. Then they hired another salesman, and I would say the two of us were there probably through the end of 62, and then probably from early in 63 on, then they started to add more salesmen until we got up to where we had four, five, six salesmen on the floor, different shifts. But uh, as far as the sales force was concerned, we got up to five or six or seven salesmen at one at a time. Now, did Volkswagen do any special incentives to their salesmen? I mean, were you guys salaried or commissioned? I'm assuming you guys were all commissioned. We were, the, the company's program was commissioned and with a draw against your commission. Uh-huh. So you got a paycheck every week, but if you didn't meet the draw that you took weekly by the end of the month, you would come up short and you would owe the company money at the end of the month. So when you started out the next month, it might take a sale of a couple of cars to pay off the commission that you would the, the draw that you had drawn the, the month before right. before you started to break even. Um, the, do you remember how much the commission when I went was? In, I, did, I never took a, I never took a draw. Oh, really? <laughs> I had, I had worked for another dealership in the Philadelphia area and I was on a draw there and I didn't like the program. So when I came out here and worked for Volkswagen, I took the job under the, under the, the, uh, commitment that they would not force me to take a draw. And I said, I don't want to owe you money at the end of the month. I want you to owe me money, but I don't want to owe you money. Right. So I never took a draw. And, um, I don't know that I ever came to the point where I didn't make more than I would have, you know, I would have covered my draw, but, uh, I didn't want to be in a position where I, you know, if things died, there were lots of times I'd say around December, you know, December might be a pretty lean month. And if you were taking 50 bucks a week on a draw, the end of December, you'd owe the company $200 if you didn't sell a car. Right. 
Interesting. And that's where a lot of salesmen left because they would wind up being there. They'd owe $200 and they'd maybe sell three or four cars in January, but they were still, they still hadn't covered their December draw. So uh, it didn't take long for them to say, hey, the heck with this, I'm leaving. Right. Now, when you got hired on at Volkswagen, was there any specific training that they did with the salespeople? Yes, we had sales training seminars all the time. Really? Some were dealership and some were at, uh, well, there was a, a, a motel hotel complex in the Harrisburg PA area. And uh, most of the regional dealers in our area went to the Harrisburg area to those to that place and they would have sales seminars and sales rallies and things like that. And we would, we would go there and uh, have a, class, a day of classes they would have maybe half the sales force go one day and the other half go the next day. And they would teach you guys, you know, just the new upcoming details of the new models coming out and some of those advanced Details of new models, the selling processes, what you should talk about, what the competition was, uh, how to sell a Volkswagen compared to a Gremlin or oh, really? a Pinto or something like that. And we had work, we had workshop manuals. I still have, a lot of workshop manuals that we used when we went to the sales schools and things like that, that uh, most of them, you know, you'd have pages and pages and pages of things and questions you were supposed to answer and multiple choice questions. And uh, most of the workbooks that I have might have a little bit of scribble on one page and that's about it. Nobody, nobody went to those seminars with very much serious attention to them. It was uh, just something that you had to do. Right. It was like mandatory for the sales team to go to those things. Yeah. Right. And so as you, as the, as the 1968 model comes out where Volkswagen redesigns all their new, all their cars, what is the impression? Like, was it a big buildup? Did you guys as the sales team know it was coming down? And if somebody walked in and said, Hey, I'm on, I'm ready to buy this 67. Would you tell them, no, wait, there's a new one coming out completely different Mm -hmm. or how, uh, I don't think it made much difference. Yeah. Not as far as I was concerned. Um, it, 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 you know, the, the hype the, the hype from advertising might have done something, but as far as the deals of the customers, as I remember it, uh, I don't think that it much mattered. Volkswagen was a little bit different because really as a salesman, in a lot of cases, you didn't really have to sell the car. The car sold itself. Right. People would come in, and they knew they wanted to buy a car, and it was mostly just a matter of negotiating how much their trade-in was worth and what it was going to cost to get into, to get another car. Is there so? Is there any car you remember more than others that was traded in on Volkswagens, like something that was sold by somebody else? That man, like man, we could we got too many of those cars on trade-ins. No, I don't think. Of course, Chevy was always the big seller. Yeah. So. We had we's always had a lot of Chevys, but we had a big used car operation. We we handled a lot of used cars. We bought cars from other dealers. We uh, we wholesaled a lot of cars. So we had a lot of cars on the lot that weren't on, on the used car lot that weren't Volkswagens. Yeah. And I was I was basically uh, once we established a, a separate used car department, which happened within the first year that we were open. I went into the used car department and I worked basically out of the used car area. I could sell new cars as well, but 
since I worked in the used car lot and at the used car, it was a separate office. And most of the customers that I had came in looking for used cars. Um, and a lot of times they would switch over and we could, I could sell them a new one. I could take them into the showroom and I could sell them a new car. But a lot of my, a lot of my dealing was in the used car department, which was also mostly a lot of used Volkswagens too. Now they, and Volkswagen, in their some of their advertisements, they said how Volkswagens had a higher resale value than a lot of the other used cars. What did you think about at that time in the '60s? Volkswagen's advertising campaign was really kind of a self-deprecating, almost making fun of themselves type of advertising. How do you think that that connected with the the typical customer? I mean, did they see it as did they perceive it as the company's an honest company and they're you know, they'll even joke about themselves type thing. I mean, what did you think as a sales? I thing? never got any, I never got an impression one way or another. I don't think about that. Yeah. So you never thought, I don't, of, I don't think most of our customers, um, it was just a, it was a, it was a car that drew a lot of attention and the people that had them were very happy with them. And most of the customers that I had were, were there because they either knew somebody or heard something or whatever. I don't, I don't even know that I would say that advertising, I'm sure, had a lot, had something to do with it. But a lot of it was just happy customers that were pleased with what they bought. Yeah. Now, it, with with respect to uh, the the lineup, so you saw the change from 67 to 68 when Volkswagen comes out with the new 68. I, I bought one of those cards from you about the new 68 Beetle, the mailers that you had. Um, mm-hmm. When, when Volkswagen did things like that, when the Super Beetle came out, what was the feedback that you guys on the sales floor received about the Super Beetle? Uh, it was mostly just a matter of what people wanted to buy. Yeah. As far as we were concerned, it didn't make any difference. We 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 had a we had kind of a, a what people, what most of the industry would say was funny. When I started, a commission for the car was. My commission for selling a new car was $35. Wow. It didn't make any difference what they bought or how much it cost or anything else. It was $35. When they hired the second salesman, we both worked on the exact same program. Whatever we sold, it was $35. Our commissions went into a pot, and at the end of the month, he and I split split the pot. Yeah. So we didn't. We weren't in competition. We weren't trying to outsell the other one. There wasn't some. There wasn't. There wasn't any backbiting or anything like that. And the new, the, the other fellow that came in was a great guy, and we worked well together. If, if if my customer came in and I wasn't there, he would take care of it because it didn't make any difference who sold the car. We were both going to split the commission. Right. So that probably I mean, after we started to add more salesmen that situation changed considerably. Did it? What, what was the difference in the commissions at that point? Then, in, then commissions became individual. And then, so and then people started if you were in competition. Fighting, yeah, if fighting. I had a customer that came in and I wasn't there, uh, you could almost be sure that the, that the salesman that he talked to said, oh, well, Don's not here today, but I'll be glad to take care of it for you. Right. And that's what he did. And then he, he would it. sell the car and put his name on the order, and he would get the commission. 
That's funny. So you'd have to go back through at the end of the month and check commissions, see what cars got sold, and say, hey, I've been working with this customer for three weeks. He finally came in to buy it. And That's know. right. Yep. That's you did all the work, and you, he was already, he finally made up his mind, and all of a sudden he walked in the door, and the other guy says, oh, well, I'll be glad to take care of that for you. Right. I can do that. <laughs> Now, and you're a car guy as well. I mean, you're like, you're a certified car guy on your own. You know, you've got, uh, I think I talked to you, you said you've got a old Ford, you're restoring a flathead you just rebuilt, and you've got a 62 original Corvette you're going through like a preservation on and some other things. Um, right. You've been a car guy quite a while, yeah? Yeah, I started out when I was about 16, I guess. Yeah. How old are you well, today? I was interested in cars even when I was a little kid. I used to cut the advertisements out of the magazines and put them in and paste, you know, paste them into, into picture books and stuff. But um, once I got my driver's license, um, it was a little bit more involved. And then I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had, my dad was, was interested in cars. He wasn't a car guy, but he liked, he liked nice cars. Right. So I had a Plymouth convertible to drive when I turned 16. That was nice. Nice. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I bought my first car, which was an MGTD. But before I bought the MGTD, I bought a 1929 Ford pickup truck, which I still have. Really? So, um, yeah, I I had I, I was always interested in cars. I was never any good at football or basketball. <laughs> Just a <laughs> just a car guy through and through. Now, now, and right. so you and I met through selling of the brochures. And and the question that one of the questions I asked you when I was talking earlier, I said, did you start because you kept some of the brochures? Being a car guy, did you see value in like these brochures and like these service manuals and stuff that these guys would leave behind the sales training and stuff? When I started in 1962, it didn't really strike me one way or the other. Uh huh. Um, I had I had I had early Fords prior to that, and I did collect a good bit of early Ford literature, but at that point it was just a new Volkswagen. You know, uh, when I when I would buy early Ford literature, it was 1958, 1960, something like that, and I would buy literature on 29, 1929, 1930 Fords. Right. So when I started with Volkswagen the only literature you had in 62 was back to 58 and that wasn't very much. So it never really struck me that much. And it was just another new, who, who would have ever thought that a gremlin would have been a collector item. Right. Um, and you, you know, you kind of looked at it the same way with Volkswagen. No, nobody ever looked at it that it was going to be a collector's item. But then by, by 60, by 72 and 73, Mm-hmm it started to strike me that there was a lot of interest in older Volkswagens. So at that point, that's when I started to collect the literature that they, at the end of the year, um, when the model run was done, whatever literature was left in the closet and hadn't been handed out to anybody, I made arrangements that um, I could get that literature from the dealership. Yeah. And, and I did that for... I did that until 83 when I left the dealership. Now, when you work in there in the, in the, and being a car guy, it's gotta be tough, right? Someone trades in a really cool car. How do you control yourself from not being able to go and buy that car? Especially if you know the dealer got it on a song. I mean, have you ever ended up with any really good buys through the dealership through trade-ins? 
Well, yeah, once in a while. Yeah. But, you know, being a car guy and I, I wasn't, I wasn't a young man of, of big means. Right. So, um, we bought a, we bought a five acre farm property. I, I met my, I went, I met my wife on the used car lot, <laughs> but I had no interest in her when I met her. She came in with her boyfriend to buy a car, uh, that would be suitable for when they got married. Right. At, which was going <sighs> to be the end of that, of his last year at college. He was going into his senior year at college and they wanted a car that would be good for when they got married. Mm-hmm. But he made a comment while he was there that, uh, he thought that it would be a shame for her to sit around home and, and just do nothing all the time. And maybe they should think about dating other people if they wanted to. While he was there buying and the car? <laughs> what's that? While he was there buying the car, they had this conversation? This was a comment that he made. I wasn't anywhere around. Oh, wow. This was, this was a comment that he made to her before she went, before he went back to college. Yeah. And, um, she said, as soon, she told me later, she said, as soon as he made that comment, I figured he's got a girlfriend at college. Yeah. And she worked with a girl. She worked at Hamilton watch and she worked with a girl there that kept bugging her about going out with this friend of her husband's. Her husband was in the army reserves with me. Oh, really? So the husband kept bugging me to go out with this girlfriend, this girl that worked with his wife. And I said, I had enough blind dates. I'm not interested in another blind date. And she kept telling his wife, I've already got a boyfriend. I'm not looking for another one. Right. And then one day the, the wife said, well, if you don't want to go out with the Volkswagen salesman, then I'm just not going to bug you anymore. And she said, oh, I'd go out with him. <laughs> and her husband said to me, well, this wouldn't really be a blind date because she was over and talked to you about buying a new Volkswagen. And she was driving in Austin Healy at the time. And I said, oh, I said, well, I'd go out with her. So we got together, actually. We met on the used car lot, but we got together on a blind date. Oh, that's awesome. And how long have you guys been married? 60 years. 60 years. Well, that's awesome. But you, Her you... girlfriend in car club used to say, and you still married him? She said, yep, I still married him. She said, didn't make any difference to me. She told, she never told me this before, but a couple of weeks ago, she said, you know, I never thought of you as being a used car salesman. I had a bug eye Sprite that I raced. Yeah. And she said, I never really thought about you as a used car salesman. She said, I thought of you as a race car driver. Well, there you go. That's, I said. <laughs> that's too cool. That's how, that's how we want to be viewed, right? As this car stud to our ladies. That's right. That's right. That's such a cool story. Yep. And then, you know, how, um. How do you find, like, looking back at your life with all the all the this this passion for cars? Where do you attribute that coming from? I don't know. Like I said, my my dad my dad liked cars. My dad always liked to have cars. He was a Chrysler product man, mm-hmm. and he liked cars. Um, but he wasn't a mechanic. My dad was a contractor. Yeah, and uh, and he wasn't a, he wasn't a mechanic. Um, but um, I don't know. I just I just kind of got a got a loving a liking for cars, and uh, I started out liking fifty eight or forty eight Plymouths, forty six to forty eight Plymouths. Had the Plymouth convertible, and um, then I got into sports cars. 
and started to run around in the sports car circles and went to a lot of the sports car races, the big races, Watkins Glen and stuff like that with sports car people and uh, just kind of went from there. So, and you never, um, you never got into like the formula V stuff. No, I never get in. I never got into track racing. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't afford to get into, I, I was a poor guy. Yeah. You know, I, you know, when, when you talk about life gets in the way, I guess you could say life got in the way. So, but to get into the road racing and stuff, you had to be a member of SCCA. And, of course, that got expensive. And then you had to meet all the requirements and everything. And I could run hill climbs. I mean, I made a fireproof suit by mixing up a conglomeration of chemicals and dipping the suit in it. And that was my fireproof suit. And a buddy of mine shared a helmet. And we went, we went hill climbing. And what'd you hill but, climb? Uh, what did you hill climb in? I hill climbed in a bug eye sprite. In a bug eye and sprite. A bug eye sprite. I had a bug eye sprite and raced in Class H production in '58, '59, and '60. Yeah. And then in 1960, there was a guy that had an Abarth Zagato double bubble coupe, and he beat me every race. Really? But he'd only run. He only ran about three races a year. But I said to him one day, I said, uh, well, then, uh, actually, I took the Sprite off the road and I bought an Abarth Zagato. Yeah. And I still climbed a Zagato. I sold that in 74. So uh, I hill climbed that for several years before I took that off the road and then sold it in 74. So, but we always had, I mean, we, we had a lot of projects. Did you own any Volkswagens over your time of being in the in the car business and working for Volkswagen? Mm, I don't know if I I think I had mentioned I I had two 1950s. Two 1950s? I had two split window 1950s. Uh, one was kind of ragged. The other one was pretty nice. Um where'd you find these? My, pardon me? Were these trade-ins or where'd you find these? I don't think either one was a trade-in. I think I bought both of those. I, I think they were from customers who came in and said, oh, I've got, there's one of those down the road for me or something like that. And I think I tracked them down and bought them separate from the dealership. And how long did you have the split windows for? So you said you had two split windows, huh? I had the, the one that was the nicer car I probably had for a year and a half or two years. But when I bought that car... Uh, the parts manager at Volkswagen knew that I had it, and he had he he saw the car when I bought it. Yeah, and um, he started to bug me. He wanted it, so he wound up buying the car from me, and um, he started to collect parts to restore it. But I I don't think he ever did any work on it, and I think when he passed away, his wife sold it at public sale. But I don't know that. Well, uh, by that time, I was gone from Volkswagen, and I didn't really follow through much after I left. And what was his name, the part the parts guy? Oh, his first name was Wilson. And he bugged you to buy that split window cuz he wanted to restore a split window, huh? Yeah, he he wanted to he wanted the car and, and restore it, but I don't think that ever happened. Now, I know when I left in 1883, he hadn't started to work on it yet. Now, as now, far as I know, when he passed away, it was still sitting in his garage surrounded by parts that he had gathered up to work to do the restoration work. And when did he, when did he pass away? Pardon me? How long ago did he pass away? 
Oh, he's been, he died probably 10, 12 years ago, maybe more. You were still in touch with him to some degree, or you just kind of knew from the area? No, I, 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 when I left Volkswagen in 1983, I only had any communication with a couple of people that I worked with while I was there. And other than that, I didn't have any connection or communications with anybody. Hmm. Interesting. What and what caused you? What what made you leave VW? Did you go? I mean, did you move on doing auto sales somewhere else, or you just that was the last thing? Changes in management and policy. Yeah. So, change in, in the in that era. I don't know if it was nationwide, but in that era, uh, to my way of thinking, the policies changed. Yeah. And I was asked to do things that my conscience wouldn't let me do. Oh wow. And I said, it's not, it's, it's time for me to get out of here. And when I left, I was told that when the new management came in, they didn't expect me to last more than two weeks. And I was there for 11 years after that. That's incredible. And then, so So, going back to the sales part, what, what, you know, when Volkswagen started to evolve and, and the, and it was coming to a close on the Beetle right? We, 77 is the last year that you could buy a Beetle sedan. And there was only like 12,000 of them sold. But at this point, you're two years into the rabbit sales. How did the, how did the rabbit, how was the rabbit perceived from a salesman standpoint? How did the rabbit come into the market? Was it fairly successful to you? Well, it got to the point where people like Volkswagens and they didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, if they wanted to buy a new Volkswagen, they didn't have much of a choice. And I think I had mentioned to you in one of our other conversations, since we were a division of actually of more or less down the down the line from Volkswagen of America, I used to go to New York City. I was used car manager for about three years, three and a half years. And then I went back onto the sales force, gave up the management job and went back to selling. But as, as used car manager, I went to I went to uh, Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey, to Volkswagen of America, right? And I would uh, put prices on their on their uh, factory on their dealer rep cars, on their their representative cars that worked out of the out of the uh, Volkswagen of America. So we would I would buy cars from them, twelve, fifteen cars at a time, and they would put them on our car hauler and deliver them to our dealership. So we had. When they even when they stopped selling the bugs, we would still get bugs in that were that were basically listed as new cars because Volkswagen of America never titled them. They were they were run on the dealer on the uh, import certification, and they were run on dealer tags, so we could sell them as a new car with demonstrator mileage on them. So we were selling cars that were maybe a year or two years old that were, they were still the older model year, but they were still a new car. So a lot of those went through the dealership to people who still wanted a bug and didn't want to switch to a rabbit. But once those cars ran out, they didn't have any choice. They, they, you know, they had to buy the water cooled car or they didn't buy a Volkswagen. Yeah. And, and your impression of like, the the rabbit i mean the the rabbit the gtl stuff started to take off pretty pretty fairly like fairly well 
Yeah, I think it went over. I think it went over fairly well as far as as far as the customers were concerned. I think they liked it. Now, um, with with in the seventies, like all the special edition models, I think they had a Baja. They had right the Sunbug. They had the the Sport Bug. Um, did that make any difference to the public? Like, did you have people that were that were calling? Um, people that were calling and looking for these particular models specifically? I don't think we had any real abundance of them. I think it was, if I remember right, I would say it was probably more that they just walked in and they said, wow, I really like that. That's a neat car. Um, I know I had one girl that bought a, uh, that bought a Sunbug, and actually uh, I had, I had occasion to see her, Oh my gosh, probably 10 or 12, 15 years after I left Volkswagen and she still had that sun bug and she loved it. Really? And, um, every, every time I'd see her, she'd tell me, Oh, I still have my sun bug. Mm. And, uh, so she was one customer that just fell in love with the, with the car, but uh, like the sport bug and stuff like that, I think that was mostly just people that walked on the lot. They saw the car sitting there and it just struck them. And then that's what they bought. But I don't think that we really had that many people coming in and saying, I want to see this new model. And you don't recall any cars that they, they came, like the 412 and the 411, right? That's uh, that that's a... 412, 412s wasn't, the 412 didn't, didn't really go over that big. Right. Well, that, and that's what, what was the, what was the perception from the people, um, the people in the, in the, like the, the customers, like what, what was their perception of these cars? On the four twelves, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I, I just don't think it. it, it I, I mean, I don't, you, I don't think it just grabbed them. I don't think that they really liked it that much. It wasn't like the Squareback. The Squareback was a lot better seller than the four twelve ever was. For us, right? And then the was there whether so you had the four twelve was kind of a flop, right? That car didn't go right. very well. Um, any other cars that you remember VW producing that it was kind of like you, you felt a little like, eh, I don't know if we should sell this to these people. You know, this is uh, not, not the best car. Anything out of the gate that you remember was a big mistake? Well, when I left, the Quantum had just come out. And uh, I think the Quantum was a nice car. It was a bigger car. It was a more luxurious car. Um, I don't know that it, I don't know whether it went over that much better because, uh, I was only there probably two months after the Quantum started to sell, after the Quantums came out, maybe two or three months, yeah. and then I left. So uh, I don't know whether that was ever successful or not. But as far as I personally was concerned, um, I like the air-cooled cars. Yeah. The, 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 and when they came out with the water-cooled cars, um, I switched over and took a bus as a demonstrator. Oh, did you? So I got a... I had a, I never, I never bought a new Volkswagen. I worked for him for 21 years. I never owned a Volkswagen other than those two 1950s, but I always had a new Volkswagen to drive. So you always drove a Volkswagen every, as a dealer, as a salesman, you could take a car home every night. I, I, I had a, I had my, my, my regular car was a Volkswagen sedan. Really? And, and, uh, some of the guys took Carmen Gears. We could take whatever we wanted, but 
of course, they didn't want, when we got up to where we had five or six salesmen, they didn't want five or six salesmen all driving Carmen Ghia convertibles. Sure. So uh, we, uh, I, I usually had a VW Bug, um, Super Beetle. Usually, I, I took a sunroof whenever possible. Um, and then they came out with the Rabbits. I wasn't impressed with the Rabbit, and I didn't like the fact that it was a water-cooled front-engine car. And so I, I dragged my feet, and I kept taking air-cooled cars. And for, I guess, for a year or a year and a half, I drove used cars <laughs> rather than taking a new water-cooled car. Right. And then uh, they wanted somebody to take a bus. Nobody wanted a bus. So I said, well, I'll take a bus. So at that point, we had two children, and the bus was perfect. So we, I got a bus as a demonstrator, and I guess I had a bus for uh, probably four or five years. I had a, a new bus as a demonstrator. So you just and, and these are the late model buses, the big win, the bay window buses, the second generation. Oh, yeah, I had a, I had one of the ones with the, the sunroof. What do I call it? The eighteen window or whatever that had all the windows around yeah, the roof. Twenty one window, yeah. One window. I had one of them as a demonstrator for less than a day. Um, I was going to Florida, and uh, I had sold my I had sold my demonstrator that I was that I was driving, uh-huh. and they wanted me to take a bus, and so I went out the bus to the lot where the new cars were, and I picked out a turquoise and white, twenty one window sunroof. Split, split seat, split front seat, and a great car, and we were going to Florida. And um, they took the car in and ran it through, through get ready and through prep. And um, the new car prep guy came over and he said, uh, you want to go back and pick out a different bus? I said, why? What's the matter? He said, the guys in the showroom just came back and said they sold your bus. <laughs> I said, well, we're leaving for, for Florida tomorrow morning. He said, well, you won't be taking that deluxe bus to Florida because he said, it's, it's sold. It's going to a customer. Wow. So I went back, and the only thing that was there was a red and white standard bus. Uh, I think it had a solid front seat, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, bench front seat. It had a bench front seat. And we had two, we had two kids. One was little. We, we took the middle seat out and put a playpen in the middle of the bus. And um, put the girls in the playpen, and we took off for Florida. And uh, when we got to Florida, we pulled into the dealership in Winter Winter Haven, Florida, to get the 300-mile service. Well, of course, by that time we had 1,200 miles on it. That didn't go over very big. They didn't they didn't like that. Right. But they did the they did the 300-mile service, and we came home and we got to Petersburg, Virginia. And it died coming around a corner in Petersburg about 11 o'clock at night. We were planning on coming all the way home. Yeah. And it died coming around Petersburg. And we found out the next morning they towed it into the Volkswagen dealership there. And we found out that it, it a broken, there was a broken wire in the distributor circuit someplace. So, um, but there, there were lots of times that I would have a demonstrator and I would only have it for a day or two or three days. If I pick out something nice... And then finally, I had to take a, they, they almost insisted that I had to switch over and take a rabbit yeah. as a demonstrator. And I picked out, I guess that was when the champagne edition came out. Right. 
and I picked out a real nice champagne edition. Uh, but it was that sort of a lilac color, right. kind of a purplish silver. Yeah. And it had the, the burgundy interior, velour burgundy, the burgundy interior. Really right. a pretty little car. I think I had that for two or three days, and then they sold it. I picked out another one that I really liked, and that got sold almost immediately. So they came over and the, they said, I was in the used car office at the time. They came over and they said, well, what do you want for a demonstrator? I said, give me one of those ugly green ones. Yeah. The green with the, with the brown leather interior, with leatherette interior. I said, give me one of those green ones. I said, nobody will ever buy that thing. I'll have that forever. Well, I did. <laughs> I, I had that thing for probably almost a whole year before we, before anybody wanted to buy it. And when you, and the dealership wouldn't have an issue with you guys racking up those miles on it, huh? No, it didn't matter. Really? It didn't matter. So if it was new, the dealer, the, the customer wouldn't care that there was a thousand miles on the car. No, huh? And you not, would... not really. Now, we, at that time, we we would sell it at a reduced price. Right. You know, it would be sold as a. It, it would still be a new car because it had never been titled. Gotcha. So as far as as far as the registration was concerned, um, that dealer would be a, that that owner would be an A title car. That would be a first owner car. Because when we drove them, uh, we drove them on a dealer tag. We didn't drive them on a on a registered tag. Right. Interesting. Well, that's cool, man. I mean, it, it, it's it's such a cool story, you know, to be able to know what kind of what it was like working for for Volkswagen back then. You know, one of the things that I did notice is a couple a couple people that I've spoken to in the past that work for Volkswagen. These guys are born here in the states, but they say Volkswagen like they pronounce the W like a V. Is that the way that the guys from Germany would talk and pronounce Volkswagen? Right. And so some of some, I guess some of the people just pick it up, right? Some people that were really trying to connect with the higher ups, maybe. I don't know. But I, I, well, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I know it's pretty interesting. Um, when I heard that. Yeah, one one other little story we were talking about the the Type Twos. Yeah. Um, they pushed the Type Twos. Like I said, they pushed us to tell site tell Type Twos. They really wanted to do that. They would do almost anything to put a Type Two on the road because the Volkswagen distributor wanted to convince the other privately owned dealerships that the type two was a good vehicle to sell. Right. So it was our job to, to push type twos and sell lots of type twos so that the other dealers would order them and keep them on their inventory. So they did almost anything to sell type twos. So I, I had a, a refrigeration repair company that I had sold a bug to a couple of, to the, to the owner, I sold a bug to a couple, to him for a couple of his kids and he and his son, his son worked at the dealership at the uh, refrigeration dealership. Mm -hmm. And, um, I tried to sell them a, a panel truck yeah. and, um, the father was kind of in favor of it. He liked the idea, but the son didn't want to have anything to do with it. He, he, he didn't want to hear anything about it. And, uh, I went to him with the proposition. I said, why don't we take a bus and two-tone it for you? Take a, a panel truck and two-tone it. Right. And he said, what difference is that going to make? I said, well, I have an idea. 
and I said, I don't know, see what you think of it. I said, why don't we take a tan bus, of course, tan and blue were the two basic colors of them. I said, why don't we take a tan bus and, and, and tape it off front to back, right across the middle. Right. And paint the other side blue. I said, and then Kennedy Appliance Services. I said, when you drive to the, to the job, the people will see this new bus, this new panel truck going down the road, a new tan panel truck. And that afternoon, they'll see a new blue panel truck, truck with Kennedy Appliance Service on the side. And they'll say, holy cow, Kennedy must be doing a lot of business. They got two new panel trucks. Really? He said, I like that idea. So a couple of days later, I went out to the, he called me on the phone and I went out to the dealership and the son, Bob, came out and he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, your dad told me to come out. He wanted to talk to him. He said, oh man. He said, I know why you're here. I said, why? What's the matter? He said, he's going to buy that truck. I said, you think? Yeah. He said, I'll, I'll bet that's what it is. So I went in, he said, I'm going to buy that truck. And he said, I want you to send it back to the body shop and paint that, put that two-tone paint job on it like you talked about. So yeah. that's what we did. So he had a bus that was blue on one side and tan on the other. And what was the name of his company? Kennedy Appliance. Kennedy Appliance. And so that was done at the dealer. Now, one other question. Would VW, like if you bought a panel truck and I was a commercial guy buying vehicles, would you guys letter, right. would you letter the trucks up for us? I don't remember if we actually had a sign painter that did that or not. We had sign painters that did work for the dealership. Uh-huh. Um, and I would think we probably could. I don't, I don't know that I ever, I don't know that I ever made arrangements and I'm, I don't remember any that we did that for, but we could have probably. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a neat story. And so, uh, so that was before, that was before vinyl lettering too. Yeah, no, I mean, hand painted signs. I've got a logoed bus from the, from the sixties that I have. It's a, it was low. It was, a, right. it's, it's got a sign painting on the side of it. So. Yeah, no, that's right. great, man. These are these are these are all great stories, man. And so, <clears throat> now the good part is uh, the the good part of this meet the purpose for this podcast is the brochures that you have. Now you've got tons and tons of brand new dealer brochures that you have that you've right. co- collected over the years, and you've got quite quite an arsenal of the late model stuff. Um, and then uh, you also have some of these. Um, salesman training type things that might have some notes and things like that in them that those Correct. are, and I would think those would be worth some money. As a matter of fact, you need to put one of those to the side for me. Cause I'll pick that up from you too. Um, in addition to the sport bug brochure that I've, that I've got on hold for you. So you just let me know. Okay. I, gotta, I gotta send that money to you. Cause, uh, you know, I'm just trying to make a collection of some of the, you know, us car guys, we just got to collect crap. So, um, but I think it'd I know be what that's like, <laughs> you know, I think it would be really, really neat to have, uh, one of the, you know, like a sales training manual type thing with some notes in it from a salesman that was at a training. I don't think, I, I, I personally don't think it devalues. I think it makes it a little more unique, you know, versus finding one that just doesn't have, you know, any, right. any markings in it at all. Um, so the notes, the notes, in, I haven't gone through those books. Those books are in boxes that I haven't even looked at for, for well, 
what's it been, 40 years. I left in 83. Well, it's time to get them so out. It's been 40, a lot of those boxes haven't been opened in 40 years. Well, it's time to get them out and get them listed on the Samba because uh, I'll tell you, people will be wanting to pick them up. And people want to buy some of your stuff from you. What is what is the ways that they can access get access to you? I mean, one is the Samba, and what's your username on the Samba? D-E-W. I'm not sure how critical it is. D-E-W-L-I-T. D-E-W dash L-I-T for literature. So that's how they can search right. it. And then I'll also put a link in the bottom of this podcast. So if people want to reach out to you for some of that um, literature. That I, they can... I saw the link in the bottom of the top podcast. I looked at that earlier tonight and that's, that's, I found that and that's, that's great. Okay. So I'll, I'll add another link like that to the bottom of this podcast, but you also have some early Ford literature too, right? I have, I think, at least a brochure from almost every Ford from 1929 until probably the late 1990s. Really? Uh, my wife's father, when the new models came out, he went to, went to the Ford dealership and he got brochures for probably not all the brochures, but he got brochures for, for the big Fords for every year of car. So I have probably at least one copy of those. Most of those are in pretty much a private collection because that's all stuff that I have. And, and the, early, the early stuff, Model A, 1929, 1930, 31, I have a lot of magazine ads and I have a lot of sales brochures, but they're, they're one of each. They're not a lot of copies. They're just one of each. Right. Is that stuff you're going to be And I have a lot, a lot of parts and service manuals too. Is that stuff you're going to be selling as well or are you keeping some of that stuff? I'm I'm keeping most of that stuff for now. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen to it. If I if I leave this world suddenly, yeah. It will probably wind up going to the Antique Automobile Club of America library. Yeah. Well, if I don't, probably try to sell it and put the money into my my being able to stay alive for pay my medical bills <laughs> for another year or so, but if that doesn't if that doesn't work out, my my daughter has the has the instructions. My daughter and my son have the instructions to uh, make sure that the Model A stuff goes to the Model A club. The early Ford V8 goes to the early Ford V8 club. The mixed stuff goes to the AACA. Some of the cars might go to the Antique Automobile Museum. So now, what do you got as far as in your collection of cars? I have a 29 Ford Roadster pickup yeah. that I bought that I bought in 1955. I have a 1957 Ford four-door sedan, which, no, I have a 1929 four-door sedan that I tore apart in 1957, and it's still apart in the barn. <laughs> um, I have a 1929 touring car that my dad bought in Indiana in 1956. And, uh, when he passed away, I got that from my mother. Um, I have a 1950 Ford pickup truck that we just did a partial restoration on. And that's the one that's going to get the new motor. Right. I have, 
when you got my emails, you noticed at the bottom that I have a little signature square on the bottom about Brewster cars. Yeah. I have three 1934 Brewsters. Now, what is a Brewster? What, what, educate me on what a Brewster is. Um, are we still on podcast or we, are we off we, that? No, we are. I, lo- I, I mean, I just love the, I love the knowledge of the, of the Brewster stuff. Okay. Um, in 1930, well, the Brewster Body Company was a coach builder, mm-hmm. and they were located in Queens, New York, uh, and they were the body builder for the American-built Rolls-Royce chassis. Rolls-Royce had a chassis plant in Springfield, Massachusetts. Oh, wow. And the chassis plant was owned by, well, the chassis plant was owned by Rolls-Royce, and it was run by a fellow, by the, by the man by the name of John Inskip. Mm-hmm. And John Inskip also ran the Brewster Body Company. Brewster Body Company was formed in 1810 as a carriage, as a horse-drawn carriage company. And then in 1905, they started to build car bodies and put them on chassis, mostly for the wealthy people in New York City. Uh, short wheelbase, formal cars, town cars with open chauffeur compartments. But in 1933, Rolls-Royce shut down their chassis plant which left Brewster with no chassis to put their bodies on. So John Inskip bought 135 chassis from Ford, not from Ford Company, but from a Ford dealership in Long Island. Yeah. And it was what, what we today we would call it a, cut, a cutaway chassis. Um, and he stretched the chassis 15 inches, went from 112 to 127 inches in wheelbase, and put all aluminum bodies with steel fenders, and that became that was the Brewster body on a Ford chassis. So that's a that's and, a pretty, uh, pretty rare bird. Yes, we have a town car. They bought they built eighty three town cars. We have a town car, which we've had at Pebble Beach. Um, we have a convertible sedan, which they built thirteen convertible sedans, and we have a five passenger limousine which was one of two that they built. Oh, wow. So, um, and they're all, they're all unrestored original cars. None of them have been restored. I mean, that Brewster, looking at the pictures online, I mean, they've got, they've got definitely a, a pretty um, noticeable front grill on them. That's for sure. Without question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks, it almost looks like a swooping heart type thing. You know, it's a real, it's a real classy looking, I mean, it's a super high line. Did you go to my Brewster dot my Brewster dot com website? I haven't. No, I haven't. I haven't checked that out yet. Okay, go to BrewsterCars.com. dot com. That's very cool. Well, we'll definitely direct some people over there. And uh, anything else you wanted before we wrap up, you wanted to leave us with uh, as far as uh, how people can get in touch with you and where they can uh, get some more information as as far as what kind of literature you have. Well, as, as far as the literature, as far as the literature thing goes, probably their best bet is to just go with Samba okay. and go to that Doolit, the listings for Doolit, which I think the link that you gave them takes them just to my ads. Correct. And almost everything that's on there, I have a lot of that. I have a good many copies of it. The limited edition models, I sometimes only have one of one of each or something like that because. Most of those, the only thing I have is what was in my file drawer at my desk. Right. So those are in 
very short supply. Um, but the water-cooled cars, I have a good bit of water-cooled stuff, and the Sirocco, the Sirocco literature is starting to take a hold and move pretty well. Well, yeah, the um, the early rabbit, the Scirocco, the GTI stuff, all that stuff, people are looking for all that stuff right now. Yeah. If anybody wants early rabbit literature, I can help them out with that. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if you looked at that listing, but I have a case right now on Samba. I have a case of rabbit literature, 400 pieces of literature in an unopened case. Oh, wow. So, and... uh I've got it listed as a, at a hundred dollars. That's twenty five cents a piece for the for rabbit literature. Yeah, I don't think so. If anybody wants to get into selling rabbit literature, they ought to be able to make money if they buy it at twenty five cents a piece. <laughs> right, you <laughs> figure that doesn't seem like a bad deal at all. Well, shoot. Well, the man. only thing is, I, they're going to have to pick it up because I'll tell you what that case that case of literature is not light. Yeah. So well, it's I, I, I listed that as local pickup. Yeah, and you're you're up there in York, PA, right? PA, right. So, you know, anybody in the Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, we're not that far away. No, I like it. Well, Don, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and that we were able to sit down and get this podcast recorded because uh, it's definitely some, some good value. And if you guys are thinking about picking up some literature from Don, give him a list of everything you want to do. Don't be a window shopper. But if you want to get something that uh, from Don, he'll do you a package deal, too, if you buy a whole bunch of stuff at once. So uh, we can fix them up with, with nice stuff. It's it, like, it's all new old stock. It's not, it's not worn. Most of it has never even been opened. Yeah. No, the stuff that I got from you is all, it's all first grade, like top quality brochure stuff. So I really appreciate that. Right. Well, good deal. Well, Don, thanks so much, man. I appreciate your time. And, uh, I'll look forward to connecting with you on some of those other pieces, the sport bug piece and uh, some of the other ones like that podcast and i know you did make sure you share this podcast with some friends you got anybody who needs some of this late model literature hook them up with don his info to connect to his page on the sambas down below great guy cool stories man and one of the solid people in the scene man so uh until next week guys later you probably don't know that there's a new volkswagen out that doesn't look like a volkswagen, volkswagen. volkswagen.